So this morning, we are concluding our series on True You. And over the course of this series, we've explored ideas about identity and who we are as the people of God. We've explored what exactly it means to be the people of God as we maneuver college and work and relationships and the busy life in which we live in the secular culture in which we live, what does it mean to be the people of God? And so uh, this week, this morning, we are bringing this to a close. We're having week four in the conclusion of this series. And next week, we're actually going to be starting a two-week mini-series on boundaries. All right. Made the right decision on that one. Woo! Yeah, we're going to be talking about boundaries for two weeks. We're going to be talking about relational boundaries, time management boundaries, how to say no, which kind of feels like a curse word sometimes, how to appropriately say no to demands in our lives that, um, that would come against our values and the boundaries in which we set up. We're going to look at the importance of boundaries. We're going to look at why Scripture tells us to set up boundaries, and, uh, and I think it's going to be a really good practical series. So I want to encourage each of you to come back in the next couple weeks because uh, as we talk boundaries, it's going to be some good stuff that we're going to fine dine and feast on. Sound good? All right. Well, this morning's message title, The Conclusion of True You, is called one, or not one, I'm sorry, seven minute selfie. That's right, I went there. You heard me right. Seven minute selfie. And the text that we're going to read from is found in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. And here the Apostle Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God had in mind our salvation before the earth was even formed. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. Everybody say adoption. To himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word this morning humbled. We come to your house this morning humbled. Because we recognize that we are fallen. We recognize that we're broken. We recognize that we are in need of a Savior and in need of divine intervention in our lives. And praise be and thanks be to God that you sent Jesus Christ on our behalf to come and to cleanse us of our sins and to adopt us and to bring us into the family of God and to make us this new creation so that we can live and love and serve you with the entirety of our lives. Lord, some of us have even messed up this weekend, fallen short, fallen flat on our face. And so now we come to you in grace, boldly, as Hebrew says, approaching the throne of grace that we may find help in our time of need. So Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would speak to us. 
Lord, we ask that you would speak identity over us this morning. And we ask that as we handle your scriptures, you would teach us according to your perfect, perfect will and way. And we pray that you would guide us into all truth this morning. Would you open the eyes of our heart that they may see truth? And would the seed of the word of God penetrate our hearts and be planted and deposited on good soil so that it may reap fruit and we love you, and we thank you for what you're going to speak to us. We say we're open and we're here. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Well, growing up, I was a huge, 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 huge Disney fan. And many of us as millennials lived in the era where Disney was just cranking out gold. I'm talking absolute video gold. I mean, you had the Disney Channel original movies on the actual Disney Channel. You know, Johnny Tsunami, Luck of the Irish, Smart House. Come on, I'm preaching. And we'd, we'd watch these Disney Channel original movies. Oh, man, and there was just something about them. Just gold, Right? I'm actually asking JC, my Christmas present, to be the full collection of the Disney Channel original movies. Well, how great would that? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. But then I'm talking also like the actual full-length movies. You had Hercules. Woo! Woo! And all the girls start to blush. Oh, Oh, Hercules. You had Hunchback of Notre Dame. You had Aladdin. You had Beauty and the Beast. You had all these amazing Disney movies that we would just love as kids. But there is one, in my opinion, just my opinion, my humble opinion, that stands above them all. And it's a little movie we call The Lion King. Man, I used to watch The Lion King every single week when I was growing up. It was great. And we all, we all love and know the plot of The Lion King really, really well. It's about uh, initially Mufasa, who's this king of the pride lands, this just beast of a lion. I mean, a stud. He's like, yeah, I'm king. What's up? What are you going to do about it? And he has this son named Simba. And Simba is royalty, and he's eventually going to take on the kingdom. And uh, Mufasa is reigning and ruling. And there's this brother that he has named Scar, Right? Just bad to the bone. And he's, uh, he's trying to overthrow Mufasa from the kingdom. And he's trying to usurp his authority and, and overthrow him and take on the kingship from Mufasa. And so we all know the story. After a series of events, um, a wildebeest herd storms down the, the mountain and, and Simba's caught in the midst of it. And Mufasa comes and he saves him and yet Scar betrays him and throws him off the cliff as he yells the immortal words. What does he say? Long live the king. And Mufasa falls and he dies and Simba is ran out of town, right? He falls in the briars and he he goes into the desert and he he passes out and he meets this wild boar and a meerkat. That's kind of random and it's like, who are these people? What's going on? And, And Simba then kind of ushers into this season of life where he's dealing with an identity crisis because he feels responsible for his father Mufasa's death. And so he's, he's trying to figure out who he is and wrestling with, wait, what, what am I supposed to do now? I know I'm supposed to be king, but am I, do I live in the desert with this like farty warthog and like meerkat? What, what, what does life look like? What, who am I? 
And then towards the end of the movie, the uh, renowned and well-known scene happens when Simba comes face-to-face with the ghost of Mufasa, and he's in the clouds, and Mufasa uh, speaks over him, and he says this immortal line, remember who you are. And then we all just weep, like, my God, that's good. Man. And he says, because you've forgotten who you are, you have forgotten me. And it's this deep theological moment, really, in The Lion King of all places, where Mufasa is, is telling Simba to remember who he is. And I want to suggest that this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is telling the Ephesian church. This is what he's reminding him. This is kind of what he's getting at, because the... the book of Ephesians is so Christological in nature. He's, uh, Paul is talking about Jesus and his, uh, how high and exalted he is in the family of God and the church and these big ideas that are just massive. But before he gets into all that, he begins Ephesians 1 verses 3 by saying, essentially, remember who you are. You are Loved, you were predestined, you were chosen, the Father has good things for you. And, and essentially he's saying that before I can get to the meat, before I can get to the truth, and before I can take you to the theological depths and unpack all these mysteries of the faith to you, you first have to be reminded who you are. And so with that, I think it's a beautiful metaphor for the way that we as believers ought to live our lives because until we're going to do anything worthwhile in the kingdom, until we're going to live in our full calling, until we're going to love and lead and serve God the way that he's called us to, we have to know and constantly remind ourselves of who we are. And I would actually go so far as to take the words of Mufasa and apply this to it, that when we forget ourselves and who we are, we forget the Lord. And we forget the one who has ransomed us, and the one who has saved us, and the one who has made us this new creation. And so the reminder that Paul gives the Ephesians, the identity that he speaks over them, is is really simple yet profound. And And it's this idea that pervades the entire epistle of Ephesians, and really Pauline theology as a whole. If we study Pauline theology and the Pauline epistles, we see this theme run deep and deep and deep, and Paul is constantly talking about this idea, and it's this. You are adopted and accepted. You are adopted and accepted. You belong. You are now a part of something. You're a part of this family of God who, who is doing life together, who can know the creator, who can know the one in whom we were made for. We were adopted into sonship and daughtership, and now we live not trying to seek acceptance from God, but out of a position of it, where we know that we're royalty. We know that we're called and we're chosen and we've been brought into this living family of God. And I think this idea is important because often we can think of salvation uh, pretty much one-dimensionally, I would say. We can think of salvation simply and exclusively as the forgiveness of sins. Uh, I, I would estimate that if you go to some random person on the street who's a Christian and you say, hey, what does salvation mean? They would probably say, oh, it means I'm forgiven of my sins. 
It, mean, it means I'm cleansed. It means, you know, if they're really going to go deep, it means Jesus paid the price that I was supposed to pay. Jesus took on my punishment and took on my sin and the curse that was put on me and brought me into the blessing of God. I'm, I'm forgiven. And absolutely, though that's true, and though we see that in Scripture, and though that is an absolute central truth to the Christian faith, there's another equally central truth to the Christian faith, and that is adoption. That is, salvation doesn't just mean that we were forgiven of our sins and God wiped us clean and said, okay, go, you live life, and, and I'll see you in heaven one day. You, you live life at an arm's length, sorry, yeah, you're kind of not mine still, you're forgiven, and your sins are gone, and yeah, technically you're pure, but you, you live life. Instead, he said, you're forgiven, and let me bring you in. Let me bring you into this family. You are adopted. You are mine. You are a part of my family now. And everything you do in life revolves and is built around the idea and the reality that you are adopted. There's more to salvation than just forgiveness. But there's adoption. And so we see that our salvation is the salvation of both absolution and adoption. Our salvation is a salvation of both absolution and adoption. We are absolved. We are forgiven. We are cleansed of our sins. Absolutely. We see that in Scripture. But equally, we are adopted. We're brought into this family of God. And when we were the prodigal that Jesus speaks of in parabolic language in the book of Luke, when he says that we're the prodigal that ran off and did our own thing and we were in the world and we were living the way we wanted to live and had no regard for our father and no regard for our creator and we did whatever the heck we wanted to do, God didn't simply say, you're forgiven. The prodigal's father didn't say, look, you're forgiven. I love you, but you're going to have to go still. Yeah, you've done, you're forgiven, yeah, you're cleansed, but you've done just too much to be close to me. You've got to go. But instead, what did he do? He said, come here, bring this guy a ring. Bring this guy some sandals. Get a robe on him. He's my son. He's one of mine. He's in the family of me. He's, he's, he's a part of me. He has my DNA. This is my son. And so now we live as sons and daughters of God. And I think if our Soteriology, that is our doctrine of salvation. If it revolves exclusively and only around the idea that we're forgiven and our sins are washed away and cleansed or whatever, however you would say it, and we don't recognize equally that equally at the center of the Christian life is this theology of adoption, then I think we're living in a sliver of the identity that God's called us to. Because we're living with what God's done, but not who we've become and who we are and the nature that has changed in us. We are adopted. Romans eight fifteen and 16 also talks about this idea. Again, Paul, writing the epistle of Romans, that's this seasoned letter of doctrine. We tend to think Romans as, as kind of one of the first letters Paul wrote because of um, chronology. You know, seeing it right after the book of Acts, and so we assume, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an early epistle. But instead, Romans was this epistle and theology that was crafted by Paul at an old age, who had seen a lot of life, who had walked with the Lord a great deal. And he says in Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of, what's that word? Adoption. 
as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You see, upon saying yes to Jesus and upon confessing that he is Lord and, 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 live, and choosing to live our life in repentance and under his lordship, uh, we receive the spirit of God. And now because of that, that spirit that brands us, that marks us with adoption, he allows us to come before the Father and not be timid and not think that we're going to get slapped around and not think that God's going to be standing there in heaven and say, what the heck, what are you doing here? I know what you did last week. I know what you did last night. Get out of here. Actually, come here. Let me spank you. Let me whip you around a little bit. Let me tell you how how much of a terrible person you are. No, no, no. Instead, we have the spirit that says, Abba, Father, I belong. I'm loved. My creator and my God is not this tyrant of a king, but he is a loving father, Abba, this intimate language that expresses closeness, intimacy, and love, Abba Father. And while the world around us, around us, around us, around us, around us, around us, while the world around us still is seeking for acceptance and still longing and still grasping for things in which they can be accepted, the, the job, the relationship, that whatever it is, that thing, crying out, let me be accepted. As the world around us is, is seeking these things, we know that we live in a position of adoption. We know that at the end of the day, we are already accepted that everything could fall apart in our lives. A relationship can go down the tubes. We can struggle making friends. We can never land that job that would give us success or give us prestige in the community. And all the while, we would be content because we have been adopted and accepted by the one whom really matters. We are sons and daughters. But at this point, we come to the tension the, the, the glaring inconsistencies even, because though we would admit and recognize, yeah, I'm adopted. Yeah, scripture tells me I'm adopted. Whoop, whoop, what's up? Yeah. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. This is great. Our lives often can live and look like the orphan, the spiritual orphan, and like the world around us. You know, we can, we can live as those who still seek acceptance from external means, we can still live as those who, who, like the world around us, the orphan world, is, is grasping for relationships and grasping, grasping for prestige and grasping for reputation and grasping for all these things, all to be accepted. And the cry of our heart tends to become, like me, love me, accept me. Why, why am I not fitting in? Give somebody, give me a place to belong, please. I feel like this, this loner, this lone wolf who's trying to figure life out. And all the while, we've been accepted, but we're not living in that reality. And we look away from the creator, and we look onto the creation, and we look at these things that we think, these false gods that will satisfy us. And, and we look to fill it with money, and relationship, and reputation, and pride, and all these things. But all the while, we turn our eyes away from the creator who has adopted us. We look to the creation and we look to the finite instead of on the infinite God. And in our orphan world, I think we can go around and share a lot of ways in which this manifests itself. But I think this reality manifests itself the most over social media. 
And we've explored this idea over this past series. But, but this, I think the insurgence of selfies kind of is a perfect example of, of the, this cry of acceptance and, uh, and, and looking for a place to belong in our culture. And, and let's just clear the air. Let's fess up. We have all taken selfies. We've all like, ooh, my hair is looking good. Yeah, all right, cool. We've all like looked in the mirror like, man, I got to snap this. I got to post this. Like put that, put that filter on it. Come on. So, so let, let's just clear the air. Let's address the elephant in the room. We have all taken selfies. We've done it. And if you haven't, just go home and take a selfie. Come on. Come on. Take a selfie. Don't, don't make a lifestyle out of it, but take a selfie. Come on. Okay, so it's interesting because this insurgence of selfies, this, this selfie culture that is organically formed in our society with social media, um, it's interesting because recent studies have come out that have, that have shown that the number one reason that people take selfies is not for popularity and it's not for vanity— you think you're so hot, you think you're so good looking that you just have to take a picture of yourself. It's not for that. It's not even for recreation, just for fun. Like, j- just to, you know, have a point of contact with your friends. It's none of that. The number one reason studies have shown in the last year is for people to feel a sense of personal identity and public acceptance. It's the number one reason. Studies have shown it. And so, in other words, selfies are one of the many ways in which our culture grasps for acceptance. And obviously, not every single person who takes a selfie is, has acceptance issues or is seeking acceptance. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying the majority of people who take selfies, according to recent studies, are, are doing it with some sort of root of acceptance. Like, I, I want to take this, one, to feel good about myself, but two, because there's some sort of public acceptance that happens when people see me. And when I get that amount of likes, and when I get that many views on my Instagram stories and all that. Um, so let me share some stats with you. I want to share some, some, some stats from 2015, so just last year, and I'm sure these stats are a little more up to date, but about the selfie-taking culture. Is that all right? You ready for some stats? This is a good one. So a recent 2015 study conducted by Frames Direct surveyed 1,000 people comprising of the millennial, Gen X, and baby boomer generations. All right? You got three generations accounted for in these 1,000 people. The study showed that the average millennial spends an average of not one, not two, not three, not even four, five, or six, but an average of seven minutes per selfie. Seven minutes, all right? And we got a slide up here. You can put that up on the screen. So seven minutes per selfie. This data also showed that the average millennial posts an average of nine selfies per week. All right? So thus, the data shows that the average millennial who spends an average of seven minutes per selfie and posts an average of nine selfies per week spends over an hour a week exclusively on selfies. Wow, people. But check this out. If current trends dictate future realities, then that means that in 20 years, the average millennial will have spent well over a thousand hours taking, editing, and posting selfies to feel a sense of personal and public acceptance. I'm going to read that again because that was so good. If current trends dictate future realities, then that means... In a span of 20 years, the average millennial will have spent over 1,000 hours. Think about that. 1,000 hours taking, editing, and posting selfies. 
Yeah, talk about that. That's a big deal. Talk about it. Forget about me for a second. Take, take on the weight of that. Okay, so, so let it be said, I'm not picking on selfies. Though it seems like it, I, I've taken selfies myself. It's embarrassing, frankly, but, but I've, I've taken selfies and posted them and whatever. So I'm not picking on selfies or else I'd be a hypocrite. But what I am doing is, is I'm, I'm helping illustrate this, this acceptance idea in our culture. I'm helping illustrate the, the, one of the number one ways in which our culture seeks acceptance. So I'm not picking on you if you take selfies. But what I'm getting at is that if we're not careful in our lives, and if we're really um, unguarded, and if we really kind of live our lives haphazardly and don't live according to the word of God, then we're risking working and working and working and stressing and putting all this time, energy, and effort into uh, seeking and achieving something that we already have acceptance. We can seek and seek and seek and spend our life seeking after something that's already ours and a position that we've already achieved. Adoption, acceptance, being a son, having a place to belong because we found the family of God and we found the place that we belong and where we're accepted. And though, obviously, we seek vocational success, and yes, though we interact on social media through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these things, yik yak, whatever, as we, as we engage in all these things, as we seek relationships, we're, we, we can do that, and it's healthy, but we ought not to do it to seek acceptance and to, to apprehend this thing of, of acceptance because it's already ours. We already have it. Instead, we operate in our lives out of a position of acceptance, saying, Lord, I'm yours. It doesn't matter how many likes I get on this picture. It doesn't matter if somebody calls me ugly on this picture. I'll receive it. It doesn't matter if I don't land that job. It doesn't matter if I don't get that six-figure job. It doesn't matter if it takes me five years to find that relationship that my heart so longs for because I'm accepted by you. And yes, I'll do these things, and yes, I'll seek these things. That's life. I'd be, I'd be lazy if, if I weren't seeking these things and weren't trying to live life to the fullest with you, but I'm already accepted, and I'm already adopted, and I don't have to go to external means to do this. Galatians 4 Verses 3 through 7, it says, We also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, that is the moment in history when God chose and saw, yes, this is the time. Yes, things have come to their culmination. God sent forth his son, that is Jesus Christ, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive what? Adoption as sons, and again, as daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Mm. We see this familiar language that, that Paul wrote earlier in Romans, this, this Abba, Father language, the spirit being given to us as a way of God saying, look, Holy Spirit, that person's mine. That person's my son. That person's my daughter. You go and mark them to, to make them fully aware of the reality that they are mine. They are adopted. They have a place to belong, and they have family with me. 
And we see the fullness of time had come. When, when, when history came to this moment that, that was working itself out for century after century, God sent Jesus Christ into human history to redeem those who were under the law. And so we see that the narrative of God's salvation revolves around his activity of adoption. The narrative of God's salvation revolves around his activity of adoption. Because he chose us, remember, since the beginning of the foundation of the world. He chose us before the earth was created. He chose us before Adam and Eve fell. He chose us before all of that to be sons and daughters. Not to be puppets. Not to be people who just mindlessly live out the Christian life and try and make sense of everything. But he, before the beginning of time, chose us to be sons and daughters and adopted and accepted and, and belonging in the family of God. And we see this because first, Adam and Eve... They're in the garden, and they squander perfection. They have it all, and yet they turn their back on God and say, actually, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to eat of this fruit. And so they disobey and plunge the whole human race into sin and into this fallen nature. And then hundreds of years later, this guy Abraham comes along, right? And God pulls Abraham out of this heathen nation and out of his own thing and lavishly extends his grace towards Abraham and says, hey, Though you don't know me and though you've lived your life far from me, I'm going to make a people of God out of you. I'm going to give you a son, Isaac, and he's going to make this nation of Israel, this people of God that are going to be my own possession. And so then Moses comes along and receives the law, and then Joshua comes along and leads the people into the promised land, this place where they're going to live and and inhabit and dwell as the people of God. And then after that, the prophets come, and they're prophesying, and they're saying, hey, the Messiah is coming. Get ready. Because the Messiah is coming, he's going to save us from our sins, he's going to redeem us from our enemies, and then sure enough, hundreds of years later, Jesus Christ comes on the scene. The focal point of the human history, the focal point of God's salvation and narrative of salvation history comes along, and he says, you know what? You guys think that God's a God of wrath. And you guys think that God's out to whip you and out to punish you, but that's just because you have hard hearts and you've been living and stumbling and doing your own thing. And so God had to reveal himself as a God of punishment because you've broken his rules. But I want to say that God's a God of love. He's actually a father. He's not a tyrant. He's not a dictator, but he's a father. And Jesus comes and he teaches and he lives and he shows us what God is like. And then he dies and fulfills the prophecies that were spoken of him and fulfills the law and makes a way so that we can be not just forgiven of our sins, but adopted and brought into sonship. This plan that God had all along. No, he didn't will for humanity to sin. He didn't want humanity to sin. He, he seeks a perfect creation, those who will follow his ways. But when they did, this plan was set in motion where Jesus comes on the scene after hundreds and hundreds and arguably thousands of years and makes a way for us to be sons and daughters adopted into sonship. And the reality is that we already have the acceptance of the Father because of Jesus. And so we see that we're caught up looking at Adam and Eve, looking at Abraham, looking at Jesus, looking at this whole story. We are caught up in this narrative of salvation history. We're caught up in this narrative of adoption. And though it's not about us, We live as the people of God, and we're living as sons and daughters. This plan that God has been working on through the ages, and when the fullness of time had come, he sent forth Jesus, who was born of a woman. 
And because of Jesus, we're accepted and we belong. And it doesn't matter how much we've blown it. And it doesn't matter what we did last night. And it doesn't matter the mistakes we've made. And it doesn't matter what we seek. And it doesn't matter the things that, that so pull our hearts away in the wrong direction. But because we are adopted and we're sons and we come to a father of love and grace and tenderness. Who's not going to whip us around and not say, who are you? But a God that says, oh, you, Sarah. Jessica, Josh, you're here. You're my son, my daughter, come here. And we say, Abba, Father, love, intimate. And so the reality is that we were prodigals and we were, we were off in the ditch and we were out in left field and we were living the way we wanted to live and the father doesn't run and say, oh, you're forgiven, but he says, you're mine. You're mine, and I'm going to lavishly pour my love out on you. You are mine. There's nothing you can do to change that. If you, if, if you run away from me and turn your back on me, I'm still going to run after you, and I'm still going to seek you, and I love you. It's this theology of adoption, this narrative of adoption that we're caught up in. So remember who you are. You're adopted. You're already accepted. I'm already accepted. And we can seek these things and we can go to external lengths to, to fill that sense of acceptance and that void seemingly that we feel. But the reality is that we're already accepted by the one whom we were made for. We're caught up in this narrative of adoption. Remember. So this morning, have you sought acceptance in areas apart from God? Have you sought acceptance in the friends that you have or in the things that you do? or in the job that you one day want to have, or in your degree, or in the car that you drive, or in the house in which you live, or what, it could be anything. Are you seeking acceptance apart from the Father? Are you, have you lost sight that you are already accepted? And yeah, again, we do these things, and we live life, and we, we, we live in a way where we want to grow and, 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 and live in a full life, but, but the reality is that we're accepted. Are you the prodigal, has left home, and has kind of done your own thing, and, and sought fulfillment and acceptance elsewhere, when all the while the father is standing, looking, looking out in the countryside, no, nope, not coming yet, looking again, oh, is that, no, man, are you the prodigal, who's kind of run away, have you been spiritually toiling? Have you been working? Have you, have you had a mindset where you feel like God is against you? And you feel like because of the mistakes you've made, you have to climb this hill to gain God's acceptance. And so you read the word and you go to church and you, you do all these things to try and get this God to notice you, feeling like he has his head turned, when all the while he's looking at you and he sees you and you already have the acceptance of God. If so, the invitation this morning is to remember and return to the Father who has adopted us. The Father who has made us sons and daughters to come back to him and recognize his love and recognize his acceptance and recognize his narrative of salvation and this story of adoption that he's brought us into. You belong, you're loved, you're accepted, you're a part of this family of God. And what a reality it is to sit here in a building, yes, the church, but the church isn't a building. It's a family, this tight-knit community where we can all bear witness to the reality of the love of the risen Savior who has adopted us. So right now, let's just take a second and let's respond like we always do. We never want to hear something and then just keep going and continue to live life without pausing and reflecting and responding. I just want you to think about the areas of your life 
maybe big, maybe small, where you have gotten away, where you've become the prodigal, where you've run off and where you feel like the Lord isn't looking, he isn't loving you, he's far away. Are, Are you that prodigal who's trying to seek fulfillment elsewhere? Who's trying to seek acceptance elsewhere? Are you one who's, who's maybe back and you feel like God's mad at you and, and you feel like you're doing these Christian duties as obligation and as a way to kind of make up the difference? The Lord loves you. You're already accepted. And this is a central message and a foundational message. And it can be familiar to some of us, but if our lives aren't modeling this truth and this reality, then, then it's not alive in us, and it's not, it hasn't sunk in deep yet. So, Father, here we are. And we come to you with our cares and with our worries and with our burdens, and we ask that you would lift them. God, we pray that you would speak to us. We ask that we would, our, our mind, our paradigms would shift to be able to understand and comprehend the reality that we were adopted as sons and daughters. We were orphans, living in an orphan world, living an orphan life. But you came in your great love and plucked us out and made us sons and daughters of you. Let us come to grips with that reality, Lord. And we look at Jesus who made a way for us to be adopted. We look at his sacrifice on the cross and realize that it's because of Jesus that we can be us, that we can be this new creation, that we can be adopted, that we can be sons and daughters of the living God and accepted. God, we repent. We ask that you would lead us in the way everlasting. We pray that as we discuss and as we nuance these ideas, you would speak to us and you would help us to unpack these ideas in a concrete fashion so that we may live and implement them into our daily lives and honor you through it. We all pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay. Um, Well, God bless you guys as you discuss. Hey, real quick. Discussion. I want to make it clear that there's no pressure to get through all three questions. Uh, There's no pressure to have to, you know, rigidly, okay, you, then you, then you, then you. No, just let discussion be discussion. Breathe. Just go where conversation guides you. You know, don't talk about football. Don't talk about, you know, how sad you are Peyton Manning retired and all that. But but just don't, don't feel bound to these questions. If another question arises, ask it. But, but use this as a template to make this practical and concrete for you. Okay? Love you guys, and God bless you as you discuss. How was it? Good discussions? Good? Meaty? Rich? How many of your groups brought up social media in some way, shape, or form? Just raise your hand, show of hands. Surprisingly few. Wow. Surprising. All right. Let's, uh, or a lot of you are lying. One of those two. Let's all stand to our feet and, uh, and do our benediction, which is Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, the text for this morning. Let's take on the weight of these words. Let's, uh, let's really proclaim what God has done for us and through us. So let's read this together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The Lord bless you and keep you and let you live all week long and all month long with an identity of acceptance and adoption that you are sons and daughters of God who don't need to seek acceptance elsewhere but already have a position of adoption and acceptance by the Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.